On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We're joined in studio this lunchtime by the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, the Minister for the Environment and Transport. Eamon Ryan, good afternoon. Good Thank afternoon. you very much for coming in. You had your party convention yesterday in Athlone. Um, in your televised speech last night, you said that you wanted to um, have the country entirely powered on sunny days by solar energy by the year 2025. Mm. That's pretty ambitious. How are you going to manage that? We're going to do it in a variety of ways. A lot of people putting solar panels on their roofs now, on barns, farms across the country, on factory roofs. Um, on homes, about 44,000 homes already and, and the demand is going, is going through the roof because it's, it makes economic sense now with the high price of gas. But also looking to industry, looking for a lot of industrial sites where we could get them to put in generation that helps their business but also helps strengthen the grid and also what's called solar farms in the field. So um, covering several acres um, where you get that larger scale. And we'll need all three. Mm. And one of the reasons we'll need it is because under our climate law, now each sector has to deliver it within its targets as to how much emissions we can uh, provide. Now, electricity has got the most ambitious target, about yeah. 75% reduction by the end of the decade. Some of the really big solutions in that, the likes of offshore wind, will take time. It takes four, five, six years to de- deliver. We're going to do that. Mm. Our auction process will start next month. Um, but solar, we're already starting. We're already seeing the first of the solar farms go in and we believe we can scale it up, particularly to meet the immediate, the 25-year, 2025 mm. target. And as I said, it, it's obviously Ireland is not the sunniest country in the world, but even in Ireland now, the economics of solar are starting to work. Mm. Globally, half of the new power being introduced around the world is solar power. But when you say for the likes of a solar farm, for instance, who's actually paying for the solar panels to go in? Is the government subsidising that or would the owner in that instance pay up front and then just hope to get their money back over time? We're introducing, we have a lot of solar farms coming through an auction process where we asked companies to bid in who could do do it cheapest. And a lot of solar farms will be built on that. But also, we've changed the rules in the last year. We changed the rules so you could get, you didn't have to have a strict planning permission on putting solar panels on your roof. Mm. We changed the rules so that you could sell power back to the grid. And we're also going to change the rules for what we're calling small-scale generation, up to five megawatts. Um, And there, people won't have to go through the auction system. They will be able to uh, get a guaranteed price. And that, we believe, will Mm. allot, particularly like the likes of community organisations, farmers coming, coming together, uh, on that sort of what you call, might call medium scale power uh, that can be delivered. Just by the by because you mentioned there are people who are micro generating and then have solar panels on their roofs and were intended to sell things back to the grid. A lot of people who've done that and who've who've stumped up the money early and who really invested in this thinking that they were going to be able to, to get something back um, not only find that it's been very slow for energy operators to even offer them a price to get back but that it's it's a lot lower considering what the energy provider is now able to charge for their energy that the amount they're paying someone who's got a solar panel is pretty negligible. Are you concerned or do you think those people have been treated fairly? I think what that, what, I, what I'd say to anyone in those circumstances is look to see the price you can get from different suppliers. And it does vary, but it is starting to increase. And those suppliers that give the best price, up over 20 cents in some cases, uh, they're the ones who get the business. So there, it, it is a competitive market where you have a choice of companies that you can connect to. It's very mm. easy to, to switch. But the fact that they've had to wait until the end of the year even to get a quote or an offer from some of those companies. Some of these people have invested in that years ago and they're now only at this end of this year beginning to get offers to buy the, the energy back, which is far later than any of them ever thought they'd get. Yeah, but we're doing it. People have been talking about this for years, as you say, but this government has changed the rules. We're making it happen. And 
it, the economics start to make sense now. And it said, particularly with the high price of gas, which is unfortunately likely to stay the case for the next two to three years, that's why I think it's going to take off. Are you going to make it cheaper for somebody to get uh, solar panels installed on their own roof or incentivise that uh, any kind of quicker grants? I'll give you an example. I live in a three-bed semi-detached house and I had a look this morning before you came in how much it might cost for me to get solar panels on my roof. And the outlay, the actual infrastructure would cost, I think, about €8,300. And the SEI grant for that would be about 2400 So it would still, out of my own pocket, be close to €6,000. Now, you could say it would pay back itself over three or four years, maybe even quicker now with the price of electricity going up. But a lot of people just don't have the €6,000 to invest in the first place. And they'll need the government to meet them halfway if they're to try and help you meet your own target. Well, we are meeting, like there's huge grants being provided and... Um, there will also be early next year the introduction of new loan schemes where people are upgrading and improving their homes. We'll be able to provide a loan. Uh, we estimate about up to 500 million euros worth of loans that we're going to be able to provide, which is going to be at a significant lower interest rate than the market rates. And that, if you add that to, as you said, the fact that you're, well, first you're saving on your own bill, mm. also with the potential of, of exporting, the it does start to make sense. We can't force every, force every single house. But for a lot of people, when they're looking, where would you put your money? This is actually the... And the benefit of putting money, your money at your own house is it increases the value of the house. It won't just be houses. One of the other things we're doing is going to every school in the country. And in this next period, next three years, putting solar panels there, not just as a, well, to help the school bills mm. cut, but also I think as a signal or as a learning system around the country, schools are the centres of our communities. And mm. when we see it start working there in school roofs, local businesses, mm. other farmers, uh, as I said, uh, are going to tap so they, into they'll, it. they'll subsidise the local grid as well, effectively? Yeah, effectively. Okay. And, and, and the grid is the key. The biggest challenge we have in all this is how you manage it on the grid. So mm. there's a huge responsibility for Airgrid and ESB to provide the connections. That's been, mm. I suppose, a lot of the difficulties for people is how do you, particularly larger users, how can you connect? Just going back a second, you said uh, loans to help people fund uh, solar panels if they're going down that route. Is loans the route you're going down? There won't be an increase necessarily in grants. They will just sort of, you'll make it more affordable for people well, to pay it for themselves over time. Well, we are. I mean, the grants we're providing are huge. Like we've up to 9 billion euro budget mm. up to 20 in the next eight but years. But for someone who lives in a three-bed semi-detached house, it still means that they'd be paying 6,000 euro out of their own pocket right now. And I'm just wondering, will you make it cheaper than that? or are you just simply just going to help them borrow the money instead? Both. We both the grants and helping people borrow. So you will increase the grants? Yes. Each year, the money raised from carbon tax goes towards this, 55% of it. And we know each year exactly how much money is going to be raised. And that's the attractive thing about it. There's certainty. It's for the, particularly for, I mean, the biggest constraint we have, you could say, okay, financing is one. The biggest actual constraint is getting the workers to put the panels on the roof. That's, if you talk to the operators in the area, they're, their order books are full. They could do twice, three times the amount of work. Uh, their biggest challenge is getting the sta- the contractors, the people who can actually put it up there. And the attractive way we're going about this, giving clear certainty over the next three, five, eight years, is that they know this industry is going to continue to grow. This is going mm. to be steady, increase year on, year out. And the more then they get contractors who are experienced in doing it, the more houses are being done, the lower the cost. Because you can aggregate them, you can do 20, 30 houses mm. rather than just doing one. And that's when it starts to become price price competitive. I want to ask you just about internal party stuff, but just before I do that, um, you were quoted a couple of weeks ago as saying that the the state's target for um, having electric vehicles on the road by the end of this decade was probably going to have to be scaled back. The previous target was in the region of 950 to a million electric vehicles on the roads by the end of the decade. 
Do you know where that target is now likely to be? Actually close to where it originally was. I think the point I was making, and I need to be clear on this, is that it won't just be electric vehicles. Move towards electric vehicles is a real benefit. It means we don't have to import expensive fossil fuel. Mm. We get air quality improvements. Uh, it helps us on our emissions targets. Um, but I think one of the criticisms, in my mind, correct one of the previous plans, was it was primarily relying on that. And actually, the main point I wanted to make is, no, that on its own is not going to be yeah. enough. What we do need to do is make a switch to public transport, to walking and cycling, and reduce the volume of traffic. Mm. I don't know if you see it, so, so you can't replace every vehicle with an electric alternative. You need there it, to be fewer vehicles. Two problems with that. First, I mean, I don't know if you sense it, but traffic's coming back. Like in, oh yes, in like yes. traffic is really coming back, and is, and it it will gridlock in a country like Ireland where you have a growing economy, a growing population. If we all end up just driving, it's not going to work for anyone. The second problem is that those cars, while they're a real advance, they're much uh, better cars in my mind than the petrol or diesel alternatives. They do require a lot of lithium and other rare earth metals. And what we have to be careful is we don't create a situation where we're dependent on imported fossil fuels and then switch that to dependency on some of those batteries, Mm. um, which we don't make here. But we will still, the sort of targets we make will actually be quite similar on the electric vehicles. But it's the other targets that matter. Mm. It's the switch. Yeah, okay. But the the electric vehicles, though, is one that I wanted to discuss because, again, it seems like there's a similar issue there as there is to solar panels where, you know, many uh, in government or many civil servants will tell you that there's a natural break-even point coming soon where it will be just as cost-effective over the lifetime of the vehicle to buy an electric car as it is right now to buy one that runs on petrol or diesel. But a lot of people just don't have the money up front to be able to do that. And if there aren't any government plans to increase the grants that you get, for example, to buy an EV or to fund the charging infrastructure that you might need to put in your driveway, then it's just going to be out of reach for a lot of people anyway. And they're going to find themselves buying either new or more likely secondhand petrol or diesel cars because they can't afford an electric one. People are making the switch. We're actually ahead of our targets. But not targets. enough people though, evidently. No, but, if but, you're not going to meet your target of a million vehicles by the end of the decade and you're scaling it back, it's because you're not getting enough people to buy them. I think we will meet that target. I, I think you think we actually, still will meet the target of one million by the end of the decade? Slightly less than that. I think it's 950,000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're on target for that. It's, it's, it's actually probably ahead of projections because there are better cars. There are, the fuel cost is a fraction. The repair cost is a fraction. There are better cars to drive. So that is actually happening. One of the things we'll do, we are providing grants, very significant, over 100 million euro uh, this year. Um, and next month, we'll, we'll be launching a further initiative, particularly on the charging side. Again, government investing up to 100 million to make sure that we have the charging infrastructure, particularly in cities or other areas mm. where people don't easily have a home charging connection. We need to put in, there was an example in Finglas we started recently, Dublin City Council, where we're putting in on, on council site car sharing facility, car charging facility and e-bike charging and sharing facility. And I think it's those sort of municipal, local solutions where we that's the best place to invest. Mm. If do, we do give it all, work for someone who lives in an apartment block, though, that they'll agree to, to use a municipal charging facility that isn't actually at the place that they live? We're going to have to do that. It, that. There are a lot of people, particularly in cities, who are in houses that don't have a driveway or don't are an apartment and don't have... So it's through the regulation of car parking standards, through investing in local authority charging places, mm. through putting them in, in like so car parks, yeah. shopping centres. Do you think... Do you think it's a realistic prospect, though? Because I'd imagine if if I was living in a city centre and there was no there wasn't space for a charger point because I don't have a driveway, like for example. Um, but if I've got a car parking space outside my door, outside my gate, 
I'm more likely to use that and not run the risk of, you know, getting drowned on a rainy day running out to my car at a charging point 500 yards down the road. That it just seems like it's, although well-intentioned, that in practice a lot of people just stick with what they know. Yeah, but it is switching, Gavin. It's it, This is not going to change, in my mind, because they are better cars. And every manufacturer, if you look at all the manufacturers, what they're doing, as they scale up their production, as they start to produce these cars in the hundreds of thousands, the price will come down. So why would you stick with something which isn't as good a car? And yes, the charging infrastructure can be a real challenge when it comes to cities. And yes, I think we need to look at starting looking at car sharing and other innovative solutions. This is happening in cities right across Europe where you look at different ways of doing things and actually in that process save money. It, it is a different way of doing things. Mm. Change is not easy, but change is coming but I, because I just, it's for the better. I just think that if you've given the option between buying a second-hand fossil fuel vehicle and a brand new electric car, even if the electric car is a much better car, even if it's got all mod cons and even if, even if in most people's minds it's better for the environment anyway, a lot of people just simply can't afford it because second-hand uh, fossil fuel cars are so much more affordable in the here and now. And we're not going to force everyone. Like, I mean, no, I'm not saying force, but then yeah. if, if, if you need the world to migrate towards electric vehicles, then something is going to have to change in the price point. Yeah, agreed. And I think the way that'll happen is when the scale of production increases. So it's not just a small niche market, but mm. it's actually the main market. That's when the price comes down. And you think people will, in time, adjust to the culture of having a charging point that's a few hundred yards down the road and not outside their door? Yeah, it, it, it'll have to work. Obviously, you're not going to inconvenience people to the point that it doesn't work. But we'll have to find solutions like that okay. because because uh, you can't retrofit the housing to, to put in car, par- uh, car parks, but you can actually devise local solutions to meet those needs. Okay. You also said at the party convention at Rome this weekend that you think the Greens will win one in 10 votes in the next general election, whenever that may be, presume late 24 or springtime 2025. 10% of the public vote is higher than the Greens have ever had in any general election. I think it's higher than in every single opinion poll, bar one, ever. Mm. It's a very ambitious target. Yeah, and I think, but it's in this this background, the world is burning. Like, we're going, we're seeing this year catastrophic climate change arriving here and now. And I think, well, I said this for the next local and European elections in May 2024, we'll be going saying, well, okay, are you willing to vote for this greener future to protect your son or daughter, our grandson or daughter, our niece or nephew? And I think one in ten Irish people will do that. Will but do you think that yours is the only party through which they can do that? Has every other party not stolen your clothes at this point? I wish. I wish. I mean, they all talk it. But actually, when it comes down to tough decisions and making some of these investment decisions, no, I don't think they take it as seriously. So what as if you do. had to nudge Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael into doing that they wouldn't have done had you not been it's in not government? It's not just Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. The opposition, actually, probably in many cases, it, it's a harder uh, challenge. But it's not easy. Like The changes we need to make in transport are relocating road space so that the bus gets through really quickly, creating a safe space for pedestrians. That's not easy. And it's understandable why it's not easy because people are used to the current system. And if you're changing something on a road, that's not easy to do, particularly at a local government Mm. level. But that's something is going to be a real political challenge. And it's a choice. And people have to make that choice. Mm. Are are we willing to, to play our part to go in this greener direction? And that's what where I put that one in 10 I think one in ten people will say yes. But the reason I ask you what what you've been able what you've encouraged Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael to do that they haven't done otherwise is because even though they're not the only parties whose mind you'd have to change, they are the ones who are in coalition with you right yeah. now. So if you want to enact your agenda for the time that you're actually at the cabinet table for as long as you know you're going to be there, those are the minds that you have to change, or those are the people you've had to win over. Mm. Can you give me an example of something that you have won them over on that they wouldn't have done otherwise, but for you being there? 
I think the targets we set in agriculture are a challenge to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. I think they um, are concerned, and I can, you understand their concerns, mm. it's a valid one, that the industry, the big growth that we've seen in the likes of the dairy industry and other food industries might be put at risk by some of the environmental protections that we want to put in place. Uh, but I think we've been able to do that. I think it is a good functioning government. But I don't think if we were there, there would be similar ambition. I don't think if we were actually, if there wasn't a Green Party in Irish politics, I don't think we'd be making some of the advances we are starting to see. The targets are, are one thing, though. Do you think that there still will be the same political will to actually deliver upon those when the rubber meets the road? If, if that isn't an unfortunate pun, given the issues of the road. What I say to them on that is there's no choice. Okay, we have an Irish climate law, which is very strong, which says we will play our part in responding to this greatest challenge of our time. We will halve our emissions this decade. That's not small. That's a huge change. Mm. We will go net zero in three decades. And so there's that law. What there's also in Europe now, a whole series of legislation coming through because Europe has set itself on this course. Europe has seen that actually it is at risk because we import so much of our software from America, our hardware from China, our energy from Russia and the Middle East. And we are exposed and at risk because of that. So Europe is switching green, green and digital, really efficient, really clever in using our renewable power. And so Ireland can't opt out of that European direction. We can't say, well, we'll opt out here because we want to do something different. And even a third reason, a lot of the companies that create all the jobs in this country, the big investment in this country, they are also saying that they want to go in this direction. So while it is a huge change, while it is an incredible challenge, it will, be, it will be for the better. It's not small. And that's why I think the strength of the law, the European law and the kind of the change in the world that's happening, there's new in, industrial revolution, mm. going solar, going towards public transport and shared mobility and all these and going towards less intensive agriculture, okay. protection of nature at the same time. Those, those changes are going to be transformative. They're going to be centre stage in this country in this next decade. And it will not be easy, but I think our political voice is important. It's one that doesn't point the finger at people, make people feel guilty or blame people, but it does have to hold the line on the scale and speed of change we need to make. And I think there is 10% of Irish people, one in 10, who say, yeah, I back that. I want to be part of that. And do you think you might get the same share of the vote or more at the local elections, which will come before the general, whenever that is? Even more so. Even more so. More so. More than 10. Well, no, sorry. I think even we're better placed at local elections because people are starting to see. I was down at Athlone at our convention. You go outside the hotel there between the cathedral and the Radisson Hotel. You see this incredibly beautiful new pedestrian and cycling bridge across the River Shannon. So it's tangible. You can see it. It's real. In Waterford, by the time of the next local election, we'll be building a similar bridge across the River Shore to transform Waterford City, to make it the capital of the southeast. In Limerick, we'll see by the time of the next election, new railway stations going in in Moiross, uh, the opening of the Shannon Foyles rail line. So there is where the environmental movement or where the change we're making, people can start to see it happening. It has to be delivered by the local government, there's a real challenge in that. And councils around the country, I'm going around trying to get to every single council, spending hours listening to what they see this transition. And it is at that local council level where the decisions need to be made okay. to switch to this lower carbon future. And I think people will see Green Party councillors delivering and the understanding that we need more of that. Okay. Well, in 18 months, the public will have their say, but for now, we will leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us this lunchtime. That's the Minister for Environment and Transport and the Green Party leader and TD for Dublin uh, Bay South, Eamon Ryan, joining us in studio. 
On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.